Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's back to school day for Theresa May in Parliament as she prepares to subject herself to yet another grilling at Prime Minister's questions. No doubt Jeremy Corbyn will lead another ineffective attack on her Brexit plans and her universal credit disaster. But what he really should be doing is questioning the policy of a government that is shown allowing dozens of boats full of immigrants to sail towards our shores without any fear of being turned away. In the last month alone, as many as 123 people have landed illegally on the Kent coast and they're all still here. And if we don't do something to stop it, hundreds more will come. I begin to think we should be adopting a more Australian approach to this problem. If you risk venturing across the channel in a boat without permission to move here, you will be sunk. You might think it's heartless, but it's surely the only way to stop the madness. 0344 499 Coming up later on, we will be exploring just why the train services in this country are so useless and expensive, why smart meters in the home are fast becoming the biggest waste of space ever, and why everyone is trying to get their hands now on an EU passport. 0344 499 You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to welcome all of you to the fastest growing radio show in the world. Uh, we're doing very well here at Talk Radio. The numbers are going absolutely bananas through the roof. Tell all your friends if they haven't listened to this show or any other show on Talk Radio, now is the time to do it. We are expanding across the nation. Uh, we are now available in many, many more towns than we used to be. You can get us on the phone. Uh, you can get us on an app. You can get us online. You can get us on a DAB a radio all sorts of ways of listening to this particular station and this particular show. So welcome to you. And, uh, of course, you can call in and have your say as well, which is even better. 0344 499 1000. We will take loads and loads of your calls. But we're going to start this morning uh, with a conversation with David Davis, our favourite Conservative MP for Monmouth, uh, because he is, of course, the Conservative MP for Monmouth. He's also our favourite David Davis. David, a very good morning to you. <laughs> morning. How are you, Mike? Very well indeed. Very disturbed, though, to read about this kind of uh, flotilla of boats that seems to be making its way here 
here. It seems to be a new thing. Uh, people are paying thousands of pounds to come from what is regarded as a relatively safe nation, i.e. France, uh, and they're coming to Britain to make presumably a new home for themselves and a new life for themselves, and that's all fine and dandy. But what on earth is going on, David? Why is this happening, and why are we not stopping it? Well, we should be stopping it, and um, and I would hope that if we are going to use boats that are currently in the Mediterranean, mm. then we should um, we should be using them obviously to save lives, but also to take people back to France. Um, not only is that the right thing to do from our point of view, but it's also the right thing to do from the migrants' point of view because we don't want to be encouraging them to risk their lives by setting to sea in unworthy boats. So. The last thing we should be doing is giving them an incentive. And, and, and basically, the, the sort of bleeding-heart liberal brigade who are, who are saying, let's rescue anyone who puts to sea in the Mediterranean or the Channel and bring them here, yeah. is encouraging people to set to sea, some of whom will lose their lives. So actually, you know, they're not doing any favours to anyone by their, by their attitude. No, of course. Sort of think realistically about it. You've got to remove any incentive for people to come here illegally, otherwise they will come here illegally, and some of them, sadly, will lose their lives in doing so. Yes. And we must ask the question, surely, David, as to why they are coming here illegally, because if they've already arrived in Europe, and we get these questions all the time on this particular show and on, and on this particular radio station, you know, if you've made your way from Iran or Afghanistan or Libya uh, or maybe Chad or wherever it is in, in, in the world that you've come from to Europe... Why do you have to keep going until you get to Britain? Because, you know, is France not good enough? Is Germany not good enough? You know what I mean? Well, people will shop around once they've um, got themselves into you. People will shop around for the country with the most generous benefits and the most easily available um, work. And uh, that, that, that tends to be Britain on both counts. So uh, on top of that, we've got the English language, which is universally spoken. And a lot of people will already have relatives here in some kind of um, foothold. So... So I think that's the reason why they will always try and make for Britain. You know, I mean, I don't blame people as individuals for, cut, for trying it on, but I do worry that governments across Europe don't really have the, um, the, the moral willpower to do something about it. And if we don't, then we're going to see many, many more. I mean, there, I had a briefing a, a year or two ago from somebody in the European Union saying that there were 30 million people already in North Africa looking to make that crossing into Europe. 30 million? Um, 30 million people. And that was coming right. actually from somebody who I would have, I would have said was mm. more on the, the liberal side of things than I am. Right. So 30 million was the figure that was quoted to us. Uh, and, and, and these are people who are looking now to see what happens, what happens to those who get here if they make it, I'm, I'm looking to come over. They're, they're, that was what we were told. And there were a number of us in that briefing. 30 million people. Um, I mean, the reality is that there's a massive differential in living standards between here and Africa. Even if you come over and you live on benefits, I'm not saying they're particularly generous if you're a refugee asylum seeker, uh, but they're you know, a million times better than what you'd get if you were living on the streets of Chad. Mm. So, so obviously there's a huge financial incentive to get into the northern European states. Sure. And what happens, David, when they get here? Because we've seen this morning a whole bunch of figures, including statistics which say that about 123 people have arrived here in one month. Uh, 26th of November, nine people, including a child, reported to be 18 months old, picked up uh, from a three-metre-long boat off Dover. 25th of November, eight people, all suffering from hypothermia, rescued by the French authorities from a small boat in the Channel. 24th of November, five suspected migrants picked up from a small boat by the French authorities off northern France. I mean, if they do get here, what actually happens? Can, can, we, can we work that out? Well, the problem is that very few people are forcibly deported from the UK. So, first of all, people come over, they'll, as we've already discussed, claim to be children, even if they're not. That makes it harder to deport anyone. Um, they, they, will, they will run through every single appeal that there is. And at the end of the day, if you look at the figures, we only deport a few thousand people each year. I mean, people will, mm. people will just simply tell you that they, you know, not tell you where they come from. 
they'll have destroyed all their paperwork, so you won't even know where to begin trying to deport people. Right. So, so um, we know in this case, interestingly, a lot of these people are from Iran. I think the majority of those who come over seem to be from Iran for some reason. Iran isn't even a country at war. No, I mean, exactly. I, Iran, I mean, this, this is a, another... It's a perfectly safe place. It's not a great place to live, but it's a perfectly safe enough place. I mean, there's more dangerous parts of Britain, to be honest. I mean, I would rather yeah. live in Iran and Baghdad than in Tottenham. You know, but I don't, <laughs> want, to, I don't want to start slagging off areas of Britain because well, I've got in I'm trouble gonna, for that before. I'm not going to get into that, but I, I've walked all over, um, all over Tehran. It's yeah. a perfectly safe enough place. It's not a country that's at war. It's got a, it's got a rather strange government. And if you spoke out against the government, you find yourself in trouble. But it's not a country where, where there's war or, right. um, or any particular law and order problem. So nobody's got an excuse no. to come over here. No, but again, but what we get, David, is we get these people who are by no means asylum seekers from the point of view of fleeing a war. They just fancy a better life. Now, I don't yeah. blame them for wanting a better life. No, as no, I, no, as no, I've no. often said, I'd love to go and live in Beverly Hills. I get a nice place just off Rodeo Drive, yeah. drive around in a Maserati, and it'd be fantastic. You know, However, I can't actually go and do that because it's not within my remit. Why do these people think that they can simply come to our country and have a better life? Well, because we won't throw them out, basically. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I've been getting all these emails from people from Poland and Eastern Europe worried that they're going to get deported after Brexit. Mm. I mean, what rubbish is this? My right. wife's Hungarian, by the way. What utter rubbish. If you look at the number of people who get deported each year, I, I looked it up and it was about 10,000 who were forced to be deported. Well, right. we know there's a million people here illegally anyway. Mm. Right. Um, I mean, at, at the rate that we deport them, it would take a century to get everyone out, and that's assuming nobody else comes in. Yes. If you start, you know, I mean, so it's absolutely... It, it, they, people do really have an incentive to get it. Once you've touched the shores of Britain, the chances are you're going to be able to stay. So so that's why people keep doing it, and I think we need a much tougher approach. I mean, what I would... Uh, I've said this before. It sounds a bit heartless, but I wouldn't... Uh, and I, I, you know, but I don't it's not heartless, it though. Heartless. It's just common sense, isn't it? Well, what we should do is we should have a refugee, a very comfortable and, and you know, refugee centre, welcome centre, if you like, but, but locate it somewhere like North Africa or, or in Turkey. Right. And then anyone who comes here, we take them back there. We make sure everyone's got their, their food, shelter, health, whatever, right? But go through the claims very carefully. If somebody's got a genuine claim, then yes, we, we should look at having them in. If not, then we should, in a, you know, we, we should basically... De- take them back to wherever they originally came from. No, exactly. because otherwise, we're encouraging people to risk their lives. And also, and you know, I'm sorry about whether, whether they have or have not got a, in quotes, genuine claim. I mean, once again, I know that you will probably say to me that I'm being heartless, but just because there's a war in a particular part of the world, you know, why on earth do we have the responsibility to house people who are having a bad time in their own country? Why is it up to us to give them, well, you know, I mean, asylum? If you- if you are going to if you are going to do that, you've got to say that virtually anyone in Afghanistan, anyone in Iraq, anyone in a uh, great swathe of countries across Africa, anyone in Pakistan would have a legitimate claim. If you're going to talk about you know civil strife being a, an argument, so that 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 would uh, quickly add up to tens, if not hundreds of millions of people. And yet, do you know what I found really strange? Asia Bibi, this poor Christian woman from Pakistan, yeah, who's been hounded because she she apparently allegedly drank from somebody else's cup. Right. She, she spent years in prison, been threatened with the death penalty for blasphemy. Oh, yeah, they want to kill her, um, yeah. And she wanted to come over here. She clearly does have a claim, and yet she can't come. Right. But a bunch of people from a country like Iran where there's no war going on, no particular problem, they are able to come over. And I, and I just find that quite wrong, and I think we need to be much tougher about deporting people because it's the right thing to do. It's also... It's also the right thing from a moral point of view because it will discourage people from risking yeah. their lives and their families' lives 
And, and, and of course, as if we needed yet another reason to get out of the European Union, I'm told that one of the reasons this is actually happening now and one of the reasons we're seeing so many Iranians being picked up in the English Channel is because they were given the right by Serbia, bizarrely, to, to travel to Europe uh, and to gain access to the European Union countries without a visa for the first time because Serbia apparently has invited all these people in and once they've got into Serbia, of course, they're then in Europe and then they're making their way here. Yes, and I think, uh, you know, it's interesting that they didn't want to stop around in Serbia or Hungary or some of the countries Isn't that interesting? Which, uh, yeah. which have waved people through. So, yes, I think, unfortunately, Mike, we're in 100% agreement on this now. I, yes. I, I, I think we've got to work on the rest <laughs> of uh, the members well, of Parliament. Well, listen, I mean, uh, Sajid Javid has said he wants to see a ship coming, uh, coming back from the Mediterranean. Because what we do know as well about the way it works in the Med is that if people set sail from the north coast of Africa, as soon as they're about 50 yards off uh, the coast, they are technically savable. So all these, um, you know, do-gooder type charity organisations are picking them up and then taking them the rest of the way across the ocean to to Europe, which is a nonsense. Well, it's it makes a complete worrying. nonsense. Yeah, and there's, there's also a suggestion, um, and it's more than a suggestion, that some of these people traffickers in North Africa are helping to fund the, the rescue boats and actually ringing them up and telling them, we've got a boat leaving uh, yeah. in an hour. Can you go and pick it up yeah. at this grid reference point? Mm. So they've almost become a part of the whole scam. Yeah, it's incredible, uh, isn't it? Absolutely it's, unbelievable. It's, it's, it's worrying. The only way we'll solve it, though, is to, is to build really good, high-quality refugee camps in North Africa mm. so that anyone who risks their lives knows that they are going to go back to that camp in North Africa while their claim is processed. It yes. will immediately remove the incentive for people to risk their lives. We will save lives by doing that. No, I think you're absolutely right. David, thank you very much. As ever, very sensible points of view from David Davis, Conservative MP for Monmouth. Here are the figures, right? From the 3rd of November, eight suspected migrants stopped off the Kent coast, seven others stopped at Dover Western Docks. 9th of November, seven men found in the English Channel off the coast of Dover. 13th of November, 14 men and three children entered the port of Dover on a French fishing boat believed to be stolen. Also on the 14th, nine suspected migrants, seven men, one woman and a toddler found off the Kent coast. Another 10 found near Dover docks and five found several miles off Ramsgate. 16th of November, seven suspected migrants were found off Samphire Ho near Dover. 18th of November, nine suspected migrants were found clambering up rocks in Folkestone after apparently crossing the English Channel in a small boat. This has got to stop, guys. This is going to be dangerous. People's lives are going to be lost. The traffickers are getting rich. We have got to say to anybody who is listening, including uh, in that your own local MP, we have to start patrolling the English Channel with boats and warning these people that if they come into a boat without any uh, actual passports, without any rights to come to this country, the boat will be sunk. I'm sorry, it's the only way forward. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Independent Republic of Mike Graham, you know what to do. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk Radio, Britain's fastest growing radio station. 23rd of November, eight men located in a dinghy off the coast of Dover. 24th of November, five suspected migrants picked up from a small boat by the French authorities off northern France. What is going on here? We need to know and we need to stop it. Let's go to the phones right now and talk to Lorraine, who's in Chelmsford. Hello, Lorraine. Hello there, Mike. Very nice to hear from you. What would you like to say? Yes, thanks for taking my call, Mike. Um, unfortunately, 
the EU, UN globalist agenda is actually to legalise um, immigration. Mm. Um, we signed our UN representative, the British UN representative, signed on 2nd of May this year that um, the UN's Global Compact for Migration... Well, I've heard about this, yeah. A couple of people have tweeted me about it. Is this the thing which is going to make it more easy for them to migrate here? Well, it's not going to make it easy. It's going to make it legal for right. them to, to migrate here. Um, it will, it will legalise um, the migration of anybody from Africa, Middle East, Asia, mm. um, into this country and across where, the West, basically. Right. It's madness, isn't it? it? Absolutely. It will also make, make it legal that they, are, they will receive um, benefits, welfare, housing. But the frightening thing is, um, and this is on video, um, a recording taking place in the EU right. at Strasbourg saying that any criticism of migration will be criminalised. Oh, like a hate crime? Like a hate crime. Right. So my, my radio show will be shut down, in other words. Exactly. Surely we haven't got to that stage, Lorraine, have we? I mean, that does, well, we does that not sound a bit like scaremongering? No, it's not scaremongering. Anyone can look it up. Look up UN Global Migration Pact, due to be ratified on the 11th of December this year. Right. No, like listen, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not d- d- doubting what you're saying. I'm just saying surely it won't go so far as to make it impossible for us to, one, talk about it, or two, do anything about it. And I'm hoping, well, I'm, I'm hoping that because of Brexit, if we make it difficult for people to get here now, we can make it even more difficult once we are out of the European Union. Well, you know how I believe in sovereign, independent yes. free companies. I mean, the idea is, um, the, with these globalists and the UN, mm. is that they want to destroy... Um, sovereignty and nation states. Yeah. They want... I mean, Dennis Healy was recorded after um, a Bilderberg meeting that they decided at the Bilderberg meeting that the way forward was for a, a single world community. Yeah. This is what they're out. They yes. want to destroy our I think. Do you know what? I think they're doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. They don't think it's a bad thing to do, but they're totally and utterly wrong. Lorraine, I appreciate you. Cool. Lovely to hear from you. Thank you very much indeed. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, there's an awful lot of things going on in the world today. And, of course, uh, we are, as we are, uh, uh, as we have told you, uh, we are going to be covering the Prime Minister's questions at 12 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be talking to our uh, Talk Radio political editor, uh, of course, Ross Kempsell, who's going to be keeping us abreast of what it is that Theresa May is likely to be telling everybody in Parliament today. Uh, right now, though, let's talk about the state of our nation's railways, because we keep being told uh, that they are being improved one by one by one. Uh, but unfortunately, every so often, and it was only last Monday, I think, uh, that some people couldn't get into work here in London. They were advised by South West Rail, don't even bother trying to go to work because we've got overrunning engineering works. But we've got a new uh, organisation that you can complain to. Uh, let's find out from Bruce Williamson at Rail Future whether that's going to actually make things any better. Bruce, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Now, uh, it's always a, a, a sort of a, a human cry about the railway systems in this country. I know that you're one of those uh, who wants it to get better, but is also quite a defender of the way that things are because it doesn't go wrong all the time and every single day uh, there isn't a terrible story to tell. But what's the story with this new sort of complaints procedure that we've now got? Well, there's a new ombudsman and, and this ombudsman um, is there to resolve disputes when you have a complaint about the rail company and the rail company says, no, we're not paying you. So you can go to the ombudsman and the ob- omb- I can't pronounce it. ombudsman uh, can <laughs> sort it out, hopefully. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, I think this is a good thing. I think it's a step in the right direction. But uh, obviously, you know, it's, it's all tiny baby steps, isn't it? We cannot, you know, shift this, this super tanker of our clapped out railway overnight. And... Uh, it's going to take a long time, I fear. Well, it is, but when you hear stories or see stories like HS2 the other week where it said, oh, of course, the problem with HS2 uh, is that we won't be able to travel as fast as we would like to travel because uh, that will cost too much money. So actually, it's not going to be a high-speed train at all. It's just going to be a regular speed train. And people go, well, what are we spending all this money on? Yeah, well, what we're spending money on is capacity, really, because, you know, as, as everyone will know who's been on a train, uh, there's a, a major problem with overcrowding, and there's also a major problem with overcrowding of the railway itself, not enough capacity to run the trains we want to run. So that's why we need new lines. Uh, so that's a good thing in itself, but it's very important that we don't see it as an either-or thing. We need this new capacity, and we need to carry on investing in the railways we've got so that, you know, we, we can continue to improve them. Right. Now, another report which I'm reading this morning says a government review has revealed, right, that delays caused by falling branches and leaves on the line have increased by two-thirds since the start of the decade. Now, that surely is something easily controlled and completely unacceptable. I, I kind of agree. Um, it's, it's, it's very disappointing, to put it mildly, because obviously it's one of these things that is, is ongoing every year. You know, well, well, continuously, trees are growing and they need to be chopped back. So it looks like Network Rail on this one have, have taken their eye off the ball and, and it's sort of come back to bite them ever so slightly. But, you know, to be fair to Network Rail, um, they've got a lot to deal with. And uh, they're also, you know, under sort of tight financial control. So they... they you know, they may have sort of made some cutbacks there and have now paid the price for it. No, indeed. But why is it, uh, if we can get into the, the whys and wherefores of, of, of leaves on the line, if you like, yeah. why is it that they are incapable of keeping control of the trees and keeping control of the leaves? Well, I suppose you're, you're sort of fighting a, an ongoing battle with these, with these trees that, that keep growing and keep dropping leaves. Well, you they know, do I, grow. I, I mean, trees do, do have know. a habit of growing, uh, Bruce. It's not that difficult to figure it out, is it? It's not like a lamppost, which doesn't grow and occasionally needs to have a light put in it. Yeah, yeah, 
Well, I mean, okay, so you, you've got to have you've got to either go down and constantly chop down trees, um, which you know some people you get a lot of complaints about that actually. Some people who sort of have a uh, a, a load of trees between themselves and the railway mm. complain when they're trimmed because they say, "Oh, I like the trees. I don't like the trains." So you know, network rail is slightly you know between a rock and hard place there, and there is a fleet of trains. Yeah, but what 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 is the wrong uh, answer to that is to not do anything at all. Because well, if you just leave yeah. them to grow and leave the leaves to fall, then you know you're going to have a problem in the winter. Yeah, indeed. And, and Network Rail do have a fleet of trains that go round, um, you know, so that, that they have these high-pressure jets that squirt the leaves off the line. Yes. And, and that sort of solves the problem. But, of course, you know... But, they, you know, they have I have, I have to say this... It's, a, it's the same with snow ploughs. You know, you could have a snow plough and a driver and a train positioned at, like, almost mm. every station, but the, the cost of running that year round, the cost of investing in all those snow ploughs and drivers and trains would just be prohibitive. Well, I'm sure, but but let's face it, Bruce, we are not the only country in the world that's got trees. We're not the only country in the world that's got railway lines, but we appear to be the only country in the world where the leaves that fall off the trees affect the running of the railway. I've never been on a train in any other country (laughs) where they've said, I'm sorry, uh, we're running late today because the leaves on the line. Uh, I'm sure we're not the only one, but I think think some other countries have have it... you know, less bad because they're drier countries. We're a very wet country, so obviously you get the leaves falling on the line and then it rains. Uh-huh. And that sort of wet leaf is, is the yeah. real problem. If well, even more leaf, reason then, away. even more reason to expect it to happen and therefore prevent it, surely. Well, yeah, exactly. But how much are you going to pay in, 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 in sort well, of leaf clearance? You won't be surprised to know, Bruce, that I, as ever, have got a solution for you. Okay? You cut down all the trees and you plant fir trees, which don't lose their leaves. How about yeah, that? I think that's actually, uh, you know, I think that's actually quite a reasonable idea. I think it's a great um, idea. Tree, you got to remember, of course, trees also uh, have another function in that they, the roots sort of stabilise the soil. And I think, you know, if you cut down all the trees, then, then the, some of the embankments will start to slip as well. So, um, you know, fir trees, though, evergreens, I think that's a great idea. But, I mean, how much is it going to cost to replant every tree on the entire British railway network? That's going to cost billions. Yeah, probably less than it's going to cost us to put in HS2, which can't run very fast. <laughs> Hey? Well, maybe, yeah. You, you know, that's you pays your money, he you takes your choice, really. Yes. But like I say, I think I think we shouldn't look at it as, a, as an either or thing. No, indeed. Now, what about this uh, ridiculous story? I'm actually on the side of the railway networks here because if you can find somebody in this world who's willing to pay 388 quid for an open return Manchester to London, then I'm afraid that uh, you should have seen them coming. And uh, you know, everybody who is anyone is tweeting me saying you can easily get a train fare for about 80 quid uh, from Manchester to London return. So why on earth Martha Carney paid? Three hundred eighty-eight quid is beyond me. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. This is this is the sort of I don't know. Um, we we do have the most expensive fares in Europe, and the train operating companies will say, well, look, you know, if you're prepared to book in advance, we have some of the cheapest fares in Europe, and that is actually true. But you know, why why should passengers have to jump through hoops to find these bargains? You know, you you any one of us just wants to get on the train and buy a cheap ticket. It, it may be that Martha had to get on a train at very short notice. And, and then she's stung with this, this massive bill, which... Yeah, but surely know, in any situation... Rate. But surely, and I'm not having a go at it, it's Martha uh, Kellner, by the way. Sorry, I don't know why I oh, said sorry, Martha yeah. Carney. Uh, that's somebody else completely, uh, who I think is on the BBC, bizarrely. But Martha, Ke- Martha Kellner uh, goes and pays 388 quid. Surely she should have turned around and gone, well, hang on a second, there must be a quicker and easier and cheaper way of getting there. Um, surely you can sell me, I don't know, a, a cheap day return or something. Um, well, and- probably was a cheap day return. I mean, you're right. You know, maybe she could have got a single and then haggled about the return price. But, I mean, a single would have been, you know... St- 
still outrageously expensive and probably a lot more than the cost of the airfare. Um, so I'm, I'm very sympathetic with this. And it's something that we, we campaign on. You know, the, the level of fares is one of the, the biggest gripes of of rail passengers in this country and we're going to get stung for another 3.2 percent in january and meanwhile the cost of fuel uh, remains stagnant the cost of a liter of fuel is, is sort of pretty much the same price it was uh, mm. uh, you know uh, eight years ago so i think what's happening is the government and we need to blame the government by the way this, this is very much totally in the hands of the government the, the virgin trains are really just you know uh, under the instructions of the department for transport yeah and so the government, you know, they're, they're continuing to put up rail fares ahead of inflation, and yet if you're a motorist, then you, you get no price rises for years. So what's happening is people are being deliberately priced off the railway and onto our congested and polluted roads. Which get even more congested and polluted with every single day. I mean, I try to get from here, and I don't wish to bore people with the log- logistics and geog- geography of South London, but to get from Stamford Street, which is literally a stone's throw from the river, to get across the river to go to Covent Garden for lunch yesterday, it took me about half an hour in a taxi. I mean, yeah, literally, I, mean, I would have been quicker walking. A example of how railways are absolutely essential. You, you know, you just cannot do the transport that you need to run a city like London without the trains. Mm. Uh, the, the roads would be doubly gridlocked compared yeah. to what they are now, and that's already pretty bad, isn't it? So, it is. Yeah, you know, railways are essential public service, and I think they need to be viewed in that way. Indeed. Now, how are we are going to have our lot improved by this new complaints procedure, then? Tell us what to do if we don't like what's happening on the railways. Well, um, I, this, this, this new ombudsman, he's up and running already. Um, and as I said before, you, you, you can't go straight to the ombudsman. You have to try with your train operating company first mm. to give them a chance to resolve the issue. But if you then get deadlocked, uh, then you can go to the ombudsman. I mean, I, I can't give you the contact details off the top of my head, but it'll be easy to find on, on, the, uh, on the newfangled interwebs and stuff. And, uh, and you approach the ombudsman and say, this is a complaint, and the ombuds- ombudsman... I'm still struggling, but it will rule, hopefully, in your favour. They're not necessarily so. You know, you may, you may, you may uh, argue that the rail company was in the right all along and sorry you're not entitled to any compensation. Yes, well, that would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? But listen, Bruce, thank you very much indeed. Bruce Williamson there from Rail Future uh, telling us why it is uh, that there's so many leaves on the line, why it is uh, that the rail companies, for some reason, uh, find it a bit of a surprise every single autumn when the leaves fall on the line. I mean, who's running these organisations? Do they not know that in autumn leaves fall off trees? Do they not know that every single year when the leaves fall off the trees and get stuck to the lines, it causes a problem for the trains? Why can they not sort that out? Are they that stupid? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you're listening to Talk Radio online, did you know you can also listen on DAB Digital Radio? Radio is growing and more people than ever across the UK can now receive DAB radio stations with new transmission areas being added all the time. So press the auto-tune or auto-scan button on your DAB Digital Radio now to make sure you don't miss out. For more details, go to talkradio.co.uk forward slash retune.
Andy has tweeted in at IROMG. He says, off-peak returns with Virgin Trains are around 80 quid, and you can return any time within a month as long as it's not at peak time. She's clearly a rich plank. Uh, some people are also saying that she'll probably get it back uh, from Sky News anyway. Uh, but let's go to the phones, 0344-499-1000. We're talking about trains and how awful they are and how only the people that run the trains could possibly be unaware of the fact that every single year the same leaves fall off the same trees onto the same lines and cause the same problems to them it's always a surprise incredible isn't it that's sort of ricky in glasgow hello ricky hello mate good morning to good you good morning what would you like to tell us uh, something it seems to be i may be, may be a, a wee bit naive but my impression that the the rolling stock pencil of the, the railway train yeah was it, it could pull huge tonnage mm. uh, because once it started moving there was little or no friction so the principle of just say, well, if you get five carriages jam-packed, why not just add another five carriages? Just make it a bigger train. train. Well, it's a good idea. I mean, one of the problems well, we, we have in this part of the world, Ricky, is that suddenly the train will turn up, right, at rush hour, yes. but instead of having eight carriages, it's only got four. Well, so, well, so they actually take the, the carriages off. The well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that, that's uh, the, the, the principle of the train. I mean, in India, you see hundreds of people hanging onto a train a big long train that makes a distance. So they do uh, go very batch, slow, though. That is the that is the antithesis of the high speed uh, train. Batch, well, batch production is what the old train system was. Right now, if you if you give up batch production, otherwise keep the prices down for speed, then the prices are going to go up, and the principle of the railway train is getting lost. I see. But okay, so what's your solution to this problem, Ricky? Well, I I don't see. I definitely am thinking out why you just don't. <clears throat> pardon me add more carriages. And if need be, add another train at the front or the back of yeah, two. Right. If you stay with the principle of carrying, uh, you know, batch production, keeping the price down, yeah. or reduce it to two carriages only and double the price, or maybe the price four times, right. which it could be if you added the carriages. See, many ways... Sorry, sorry, mate. I was going to say, in many ways, you're a bit of an economic genius. Have you ever seen those uh, the lifts, you know, the ones that never stop, and you can just walk on them? Uh, it goes very slowly, but it goes in a big loop, basically, and you walk into the lift, and you and you go up to the floor you want to get to, and you just walk off it, and it doesn't stop going. Maybe we could do something like that, get a train that actually never jump stops. <laughs> yeah, you just jump on and off it. What do you think? I can <laughs> I think that would work you'll, well. You'll get 5,000 people all jumping on and off at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I should yeah, say well, at this time that possibly the worst train and the most bizarre train I've ever seen in my life is the Clockwork Orange in Glasgow, the little underground train that goes I around in a little it. circle. It's tiny. I've never seen... It's a, it's a train made for very small people. <laughs> Isn't it? You're pushing it, boy. You're pushing it. All right. We're all talk, talk. <laughs> Listen, Ricky, I'll talk I'll to you soon. You Thank you very much indeed. Ricky there with some good ideas about what to do about the trades. Let's talk to Harry, uh, who's in Portsmouth. Hello, Harry. Oh, uh, yeah, hello, uh, Mike. Um, this, this HS2 business, I don't know whether you remember, they, they talked about speed. Then when people said, what's the point, they talked about capacity. That's because of the, the busy West Coast main line, the first 80 miles out from Euston as far as rugby. That's the, That's the busy section that, they say, oh, that's what we got to solve the problem on capacity. Right. But four, five years ago, the MPs were saying, you know, with these cheap tickets where if you buy a ticket 
one one minute later, after a certain yes. hour, you get a far cheaper rate. Yes. Well, they, they, the MPs were complaining about all oh, the trains are crowded out, out of Euston in the evening. In the yeah. 1900, it's, it's absolutely packed. That's why we definitely need capacity solved by a new high-speed line. Well, yeah, well, but we say, we say we're going to get a, a high-speed line, but apparently we're not going to be able to run it at high speed. No, I did hear that. I couldn't work that out because I didn't. I didn't quite hear the full bulletin, so I've had to keep stum on oh, that. Right. I, I'm not well, sure. apparently the reason, Harry, what? the reason we're given anyway is that it costs more money to run it at high speed. So in order to save money, because they have now spent too much, uh, they're going to run it slower. Well, British Rail proved that in the late seventies. They did a study of trains running at one two five, one forty. And at the time, 167, was, which was the French TGV. Right. And British Rail, on British lines, worked out that the, the energy, extra energy used by those trains at the time with the blank, you know, the blank fronts on them. Oh, yeah. Once you got above 140, the extra energy you use, it just wasn't worth it. The cost became prohibitive. Really? That's interesting. But, but I mean, when, what, about, what about the, the bullet train in Japan? I mean, that goes about 230 miles an hour, doesn't it? Yeah, and they get longer and longer noses. They end up looking like Concord, don't they? That's well. That's I don't care. Do. I don't care what it looks like. If it gets me to Glasgow in an hour, no. I'm taking it. Well, the plane's the best thing. That's got a bullet nose on it already. Yeah, the problem with that though is you have got to schlep all the way out to the airport, hang about in uh, in you know the departure lounge, you know, sit about for hours on end, ah. and then get on a plane in a very cramped seat for 45 minutes of a travelling uh, situation, which is not very pleasurable. That's because we've never had a proper airport policy in Britain of regional airports. They keep shutting airfields down, not opening them no, up. No, that's right. You sound like a bit of an expert on the travel business, Harry. I mean, what would you do with these people that run train companies but every single year are surprised at the fact that leaves fall off trees and uh, make it difficult for the trains to move? Well, I know one station where they um, took out some sidings and uh, the nature lovers decided it would be a nature reserve. Uh, fair oh, really? enough, but there's an absolute, there's an absolute massive trees. That, in fact, I've seen new saplings being planted the last year. You know, there's already a, a whole wood yeah, there. but surely they should plant. Planting. They should plant evergreen trees, and they wouldn't lose their leaves. Yeah. Well, this footpath, they put a wide footpath as wide as a lorry because when they were redoing all these sidings, ripping them up, right. they obviously had some extra space. Well, this path is actually covered with leaves. I had a problem walking along it yesterday. It's slippery. So many sloppy leaves yeah. all over this path. Never Shocking. mind the rail. I know. Well, where are the people that used to clean the leaves up? Where have they all gone? Well, they did used to have lots of track men who used to be stationed every few miles. That yeah. was all phased out with privatisation. I was always amazed when I was a kid, when I lived in uh, North London, there was a guy that would come from the council to clean up the leaves every single uh, autumn, and he would put them all in a big pile, right, and then just leave them all in a big pile, and then within about 15 minutes, the wind would come yeah. and blow them all away again. Yeah, my uncle's road gets that. They come along, leave them in a pile, and if they're not quick enough, they yeah. get blown away. Again, I mean, so it's the most up. ridiculous thing you've ever seen. It's like making work for yourself. It's madness. Listen, Harry, great call. Thank you very much indeed. Harry in Portsmouth there uh, with some interesting thoughts on the nose cone of trains and why they should make trains longer, uh, why they should make trains quicker, why they should make trains actually more efficient rather than less efficient. I don't understand why the people that run the train companies in this country haven't been able to increase the power and the frequency and the efficiency, if you like, of the train business, because it's actually less efficient now than it's ever been. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Plain old Jane Doe, sorry about a man 
This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344-499-1000. Coming up, uh, just before the uh, uh, Prime Minister's questions, we will be finding out precisely what's likely to happen there. Uh, will Jeremy Corbyn give Theresa May a hard time? Will he mention uh, all of these boats coming backwards and forwards between the uh, French coast and the Kent coast, uh, full of people from Iran and other points east who want to come and live in this country? A couple of people have tweeted about the trains. Neil says, the lady from Sky with the expensive train fare, uh, that's Martha Kellner, uh, will get the money back from her employer. The train companies know this and abuse the system. I paid £30 return from Leeds to come and see you next month. Uh, he's talking about the two mics, of course, uh, at the Shepherd's Bush Empire in December. Uh, £30, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Uh, it's even cheaper than the tickets for the actual show. So well done. We'll look forward to seeing you, Neil. Uh, coming up, here's one from Phil. I often use the train for business at Russia. I went to Manchester recently for a day return, leaving Ashford at 7am. 206 quid. The prices are ridiculous. I can claim it back. You're right. But the train companies do abuse the system. Well, 206 quid is pretty ridiculous. However, not as bad as 388, which is what Martha paid. Absolutely extraordinary state of affairs. Now, uh, you might say that the train companies run it as if we are a charity. Uh, we are now going to talk about charity shops because Robin Osterley is the chief executive of the Charity Retail Association. And we're being told uh, that they're having so many old clothes thrown at them that they're having to turn away lots and lots of the clothing that they're offered to sell because there's just too much of it and it's cheap and nasty. Robin, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning. Now, people often ask me about charity shops. Why are there so many charity shops in the high street? Why is it that some high streets have only got charity shops and coffee shops? And I'm, I'm assuming that, and I think I know that the answer to this is that the, you do get a bit of a break from uh, uh, from the rates that other shops are charged. But there's a lot of charity shops around now, aren't there? There are, yeah. There's about 11,500 wow. um, across the UK altogether. Yes. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's true to say that there are very many towns where there's nothing but charity shops. I mean, I think that's no. extremely unlikely to be the no, case. No, of course. But, I mean, you do uh, often see, say, an empty unit being filled by a charity shop for a period of time and then, you know, somebody else tries to make it work, doesn't work, then they put another charity shop in. You know, you do see quite a lot of them. Uh, you do see quite a lot of them, and I, I guess that reflects, Mike, really the fact that uh, that people like shopping in them. Actually, uh, yeah. they like going there. Uh, they enjoy the experience of of shopping in a charity shop, uh, and these days they provide something refreshingly different uh, on the high street from from your average kind of commercial retailer. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know what you like about uh, clothes shopping, but I, I I really struggle when I walk into your average sort of high street uh, uh, shop selling new clothes. I really struggle because they all seem to have the same stuff. Right. There's a vast amount of it, um, and I just really struggle to choose. Do you? Um, uh, but, but really? If you, yeah, I do, yeah. Well, like what sort of clothes do you like to wear, Robin? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure I necessarily want to get, get into that on national radio, to be honest. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, if I want to go buy a couple of shirts, it's not that complicated. It's not that complicated, but I, I, you know, for me, I would prefer to go into a charity shop. I, only, I really? went, went into a shop n- n- near, near where I work a couple of weeks ago. I picked up an absolutely fantastic, high-quality, high-street brand um, See, I wouldn't want to wear or, anybody else's clothes. It would be my problem. I mean, nothing against charity shops, but I would not no. want to put on a piece of clothing that somebody else had worn, unless it was for a sort of a party. Well, that's a matter of personal choice. I mean, vast, vast numbers of people have, have no such compunction. To be Indeed. Honest, otherwise, no, I'm sure. shops wouldn't exist. No, right. And, but is and, that what, I mean, do you, I don't know if you have figures on this, but I mean, what, mm. what is the, the, the sort of the, the most you sell in charity shops? I, I would imagine it's not clothing. I would imagine it's something else, isn't it? No, actually, it is clothing. Is it? Uh, by a very substantial amount. Wow. Yeah, ma- mainly ladies' wear. Okay. Um, uh, but also a certain amount of men's wear. Oh. Uh, then there is uh, furniture. There is bric-a-brac. There are electrical right. goods. 
Uh, there are a lot of specialist shops out there now. So there are some shops which specialize in, for example, things like bridal wear. Mm. Um, there is there is a very widespread, but the vast majority of it is is clothing, actually. Oh, okay. yeah. So what about this story today that's been highlighted by Mary Creer, the Labour MP, mm. chairman mm. of the Environmental Audit Committee, saying that an awful lot of charity shops have become inundated now with poor quality clothing and they're having to turn it away? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Mary's got a point actually, uh, in the sense that uh, it, it is true that fast fashion has created a significant reduction in the quality of the clothing that that, that our members get donated. Um, I don't think it's quite right to say that many of our members will turn stuff away. I mean, there may be examples of that. But generally, by and large, our members are extremely grateful for uh, for whatever the public are prepared to bring in uh, as a donation to charity. Um, And they won't turn stuff away unless it's either dangerous or, or, you know, obviously disgusting. (laughs) Um, They they probably won't turn it away. But Mary has got a point in that um, there there are, you know, there there is an extreme, uh, an extreme increase in the amount of stuff that is being donated to charity shops that is of 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 very poor quality so you know p- people will go to uh, one of these fast fashion outlets and they will buy i don't know a top for a party or something yeah. they will wear it for the party and that's it they they have no intentions of wearing wearing it again mm. so it ends up in a charity shop now if it's been bought new for you know, I don't know, five pounds or yeah. something. It's hard for us to sell it uh, for an amount that is actually of value to to the charity. Um, so uh, that is that it has become a little bit of an issue. But I, I, you know, I don't want I don't want in any way to to give your listeners the impression that charity shops are prone to turning stuff away because they are actually not. Mm. Um, they will take they will take the vast majority of stuff. Um, and uh, I was trying to give them a load of albums that I was getting rid of, uh-huh. and they didn't want them. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I think that's rather unusual to be mm. honest. Um, I think if you pop next door, you probably find that there would be a charity shop that would take those, yeah. particularly vinyl. Which I actually think, is... well, you know, this was before it came back mm. into fashion, so I maybe see, that was yes. why that they thought nobody would want them. But you know, they probably would be worth a few bob now. But but one of the questions that I get a lot, an awful lot of the time, whenever we talk about charity shops, is is what is the actual margin of profit and how much money does go to the charities? Because a lot of people are under the impression that in fact they make quite a bit of money on the side and not all of it goes to the charity. Well, I mean, obviously, running a retail establishment, whatever it is, has costs associated with it. So although you're right, they do get a reduction in their rates. They do have to pay rent at market value. Uh, They have to pay utilities. um, And they do pay staff. So most charity shops will have at least one paid member of staff in there. So there are costs uh, associated with it. Um, But uh, nevertheless, they do make, on average, around £270 million worth of profit for Mm. charities every year. That's a lot of money. uh, Which is an enormous amount of money. And, um, uh, you know, that's from a turnover of of well over a billion. So, Mm. I mean, uh, although uh, obviously the costs associated with running a shop are different from if you just simply walked in and donated, Mm. you know, an amount of money to a charity, most people, it's it's not an either or. So, in other words, if I take my sh- my jacket to a charity shop and they sell it for 15 quid, the chances of me get- donating them 15 quid instead um, are not great. So it's, it, it's absolutely incremental income for the charity, and therefore it's extremely important, even if the profit margins aren't as great as, as a straightforward donation. No, sure. Uh, Robin, so what's your advice to anyone who wants to give stuff to a charity shop, but maybe they get turned away from the first one? They should just keep trying, should they?
Yeah, so I, I doubt if I get turned away from very many, to be honest. I think it's, it's, it's rather uncommon for our members to, to, to turn people away. Um, so I would just keep trying. And above all, I guess our advice would be to, um, wherever possible, to, uh, to actually physically go into the shop with a bag of clothing. And uh, by that means, if you're, if you're a UK taxpayer, you can gift aid it, gift aid your donation, and they'll get 25% more from it if, if you do that mm. when they sell it. Um, do that rather than, for example, put a bag on your doorstep, um, because if you put a bag on your doorstep, you know, there are risks associated with that. Go to your charity shop, make contact with them, have human uh, you know, contacts, have, have a discussion with them and gift aid your stuff if you possibly can. Um, and don't in any way be deterred if someone turns stuff away, because as I say, that is extremely unusual. Sure. Robin, thank you very much indeed. Robin Osterley there, Chief Executive of the Charity Retail Association. Uh, so it is true that charity shops do get a bit of a, a break on the uh, on the rates from the local council. However, they do still have to pay rent. They do still have to pay the people that work there. But they do make an awful lot of money uh, for charity. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent... Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 